singing some songs for a while. And it was kind of calmed down. And then, when, and then as soon as we start preaching again, now, and then here comes the bombs again and disruptions and so forth. You know, isn't it amazing that we can just come to church and we can worship, the God, worship God freely? What a privilege we have. We take that for granted that all across America and in many countries, we can just come and we can look at God's Word and we can worship Him. And sometimes we get caught up with all the distractions and all the things that maybe aren't our preferences and all this other junk. And the bottom line is we're to worship God. And we have that freedom this morning. I hope that you've done that. And uh, in, in, in a time period of history that vies for our attention, we need to refocus ourselves now more than ever to worship God and obey God afresh and anew in our lives. And uh, so I hope this morning that you're challenged with a couple of exhortations here as we, as we read through Psalm 95, that you're, you're encouraged once again to worship God, to concentrate on Him and be encouraged with that. And then also just to let Him work and to, to respond with a life of obedience. So I want to start this morning by uh, bringing your attention to Psalm chapter 95. He says this. He says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to Him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in His hand, and the mountain peaks are His. The sea is His. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under His care. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah and in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was disguised with a gener- or disgusted with a generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. He starts the, the message this morning... With a, with a couple of exhortations. And the first one is to come. It is to simply come. And I'm glad you're here, but it's not just referring to coming together. In fact, God's Word tells us and reminds us in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, as some do, but drawing together all the more as we see the day approaching. God wants us to have fellowship with one another around God's Word in God's house. And so I'm glad you're here, but the bottom line is this. This is not the only place you're to come to. The bottom line is, you're to come to God's Word. You're to come to God. Meet Him where He is. Because remember, we've talked about this many times. God speaks to us how? Through His Word. And then we respond to what God told us in communication back to Him in prayer. And so God is saying, come. You need to come to me. And you need to spend time with me. And anybody that has a relationship with God and a relationship with anybody, you want to cultivate that relationship. You want to see the relationship grow and become stronger. And the only way you do that is through time with God and through time with the person that you're having a relationship with. So he is challenging, first of all, to come. And then secondly, he says, shout joyfully unto the Lord. Shout triumphantly. I mean, think about this. Do you know what it means to shout? Yeah, you're doing it. Uh, you know, we're to shout, we're to get excited. I mean, you even think about this. How many of you get excited? And wives, if your husbands are lying, we, we, we can tell because you're going to say, you know, have this. how many of your husbands get excited when they watch sports on TV or go to a game? Right. You have no problem saying, come on, guys, come on. Oh, it's so close. Hey, did you see that? You have no problem doing that. But what about when we come into God's house? We say, 
and we, and we just sat out and we worship God and, and we exalt Him and glorify Him and we kind of just... You don't have to sing good. It says make a joyful noise. But, you know, our worship stems from what? Our hearts. Now, you don't need music to do that, right? I mean, we know that. But isn't it wonderful when we do have good music and we worship out of our heart and we sing, glorify, glor- uh, uh, sing songs to God and it glorifies Him? That's what God wants from us. He says, sing j- or shout joyfully unto the Lord. Shout triumphantly. Now, I want to revert back to just a couple of uh, uh, verses there and back in Psalm chapter 40. I love Psalm chapter 40. It's a great, great psalm. But in Psalm chapter 40, it says this in verses 1 through 3. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. And here's what He did. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. That's what God does when He does a work in our life and when He brings salvation to us. He does this awesome work and He gives us a new foundation for life and He allows our, our, our feet finally to be on solid ground as His children. And then here's what He does in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you realize that when you sing out and when you worship God and the song that God's put in your heart comes out, it's a testimony to others. And they begin to see it. And they begin to say, man, that guy's got joy. That person's got, got, got a, you know, something going on in their lives that they can just sing about it. Um, there's a couple of people, I don't know if you've noticed them, but up there in Wegmans, there's a lady that does the cleaning on the tables up there in the cafe. And she just walks around and she's singing songs all the time. She's a Christian. And she's just walking around singing and singing and singing. And, and I went up there and I, I, one day she was right there beside us and I said, man, you got a beautiful voice. And she looks at me and she goes, yeah, I just got to sing praises about my Lord. And she's just going about minding her own business, singing everything. Well, I saw her like a couple weeks later and... Um, I said, you're not singing today. She goes, yeah, I got in trouble for singing. She goes, people didn't like it. I was singing Christian songs in, at the workplace. So I was, a little, I was a little frustrated with that. And I thought, man, you've got a song. You've got to let it out, right? You've got to sing about it. And uh, I know I get a little carried away, as I said before. I was over at IGM, and I was up there, and I was, I was, on, the, I was on the mower, and I was just mowing away, and all of a sudden, you know, my hand's up in the air. I'm, I'm you know, going no-handed on a, on a Z-turn. That's not real smart. But, but I was doing it. But I was just like singing. I was just worshiping God. we got to do that. And you're going to see why here in the end of Psalm chapter 95. But the bottom line is this. He says that when God puts a song in our mouth, even praise to our God, many shall see it and fear in what? Trust in the Lord. Music is a powerful way. And when God puts that song in your heart, you got to let it out. And I hope that you can do that. So we shout and scream at athletic events. We shout and scream at everything else, you know, these special occasions. Why not shout out to God? And God lets us know exactly who He is by the names that He's given us in His Word, His very attributes, uh, the things that make Him so awesome. So, question. Do we get excited about serving God? Do we get excited about showing about who He is? And then it says, number three, enter His presence with what? Verse two, thanksgiving. You know, I don't know about you, but we ought to take time every day as we pray just to thank God for all the things He does for us every day. Every day God's doing something. If you're here today, you woke up. And he said, Pastor, that's Captain Obvious. Yeah, you're here. You have another day of life and breath and health. And you get to worship God. 
You have a mind that you can reason and think. You have a heart that's beating. You have muscles that are working. And Think about it. What are we doing with that? And so we start thinking about our, our, our very life, the fact that God has saved us. We think about the very things that God has allowed us to have, the things He's blessed us with. I mean, anybody have to sleep in the gutter or you know, underneath the bridge last night? No. Did any of us have to you know, build a little tent in the wood or lean to and sleep under there because we've got no home? No, we are blessed. I can't imagine, you know, as I was driving across Mexico a few years back, seeing out there across one hillside just tarp after tarp after metal piece of tin after, you know, pallet after cardboard after... It's where people live. And we, we, woke in a, we slept in a nice bed last night. I mean, an occasional moment that we have to sleep on the floor, even that's better than half the world. Do we thank God for that? Or how about the food that we eat in a given week? Just the very fact that we have food to eat, that we have water to drink. Okay, grubs, not you. But anyone have to walk to church today? You don't count grubs. You live next door. We didn't walk today. We got in our cars. Some of you rolled down the windows. Some of you turned the air on. Some of you turned the heat on, Paul. Um, you know, this is, you know we, have, we are blessed. Do we thank God for that? You know, our children, they make us laugh. And yeah, they frustrate us too. And we frustrate them too. But do we thank God for our children? Do we thank God for the... I mean, these are just things that we take for granted every day. And he says, come before him with thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when I was first learning to pray. And uh, I remember growing up as I did, I thought you had to pray in these and thous, because that's, that's the language God speaks. And I uh, found out that God speaks multiple languages, like, like just the one I use and butcher on a daily basis. And, um, but just to talk to God, just to simply take a moment and say, God, I need you today. Uh, God, I'm right here. I know you're working, but can you kind of fill me in on the plans? Just simply talking to God daily and coming before Him and just drawing close to Him. He says, enter His courts with thanksgiving, His presence. And the word enter here in in the original language here, it has the idea of submitting or surrendering. Say, what does that have to do with the text? Well, here's the deal. Put your, put your thinking caps on and go back in time. And imagine for a moment that you are coming in to meet the king. If you were a subject to the king, you went in before the king and you knelt down before him in his presence, right? God is our king. And when we enter his presence, we are to enter peacefully in a tone of surrender and humility before our God. He's our King. In fact, in the New Testament, the word Lord means Master. In other words, we are subservient to Him. And we're to come before Him in surrender, in humility, acknowledging who He is. And I wonder how often we even take prayer for granted. That we have the opportunity. So He says, come before Him. In our text here, verse verse. Uh, Two, it says, let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. So we're to come before him in humility and in surrender. 
And then it says, let us shout triumphantly to him in song. It's an idea, once again, a picture of a, pe- of a peasant or a subject to his loyal king, worshiping him, exalting him, lifting up his name. We kind of get the, a, a small picture of that when, when the people in the streets were chanting to David after he slayed the giant. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And they chanted the praises of David as their, you know, who would eventually be their king. But it's the idea of us going before a holy God and acknowledging who He is and who we are not. So we're to come, we're to shout joyfully to the Lord and triumphantly to Him. We're to enter His presence. But there's this question, why should we sing, shout, surrender ourselves to God in worship? He gives us three reasons in our text. Once again, in Psalm chapter 95, he says this, verse 3. It says, For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. The depths of the earth are in His hand, and the mountain peaks are His. The sea is His. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. So, first of all, it's the whole idea that He is great and above all. He is great and above all. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. Have anybody, have you ever, I guess, got something really new that was just really exciting? I mean, you, you, I mean, this this object that you got. Maybe it was a new car. Maybe it was a a new vacuum cleaner. Maybe it was just you know whatever it is, a new computer. And man, he's like, this is the latest, greatest. It's got all the technology. It's got all the bells and whistles. And you think, man, this is awesome. This is a cat's meow. I mean, this is best on the market. You ever got that? How long does that last? Week? Month? Couple years? I mean, wouldn't it be great if you could just say that this computer that I'm buying is the end-all computer? The hard drive's never going to go out. The monitor's never going to go bad. And it doesn't matter what new software comes out, it can handle it with blazing speed. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, that's a dream world. That's never going to happen. Because as soon as you upgrade that computer, the software gets bigger and more complex. Then you get a computer that handles that better than the software. It's a never-ending cycle. Or how about the car? Wouldn't you you think it would be great if you just had a tire that never wore out? I mean, this is the end-all tire. It's never going to go bald. And this muffler? Good for 300,000 miles. This motor? Half mil. Easy. You know, rust? <laughs> that's a dream. That's, that's, that's something of yesteryear. No, they wear out, don't they? When we think of our God, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God never changes. Isn't it amazing? Now think about this. I know this is a really difficult concept, but think about this. The same God that's in the Old Testament is the same God we have today. Isn't that a novel concept? We have the same God. He manifests Himself in different ways, but it's the same God. It's awesome to consider. Imagine the product that would never quit, a vehicle that never grow, a computer that never goes slow, and yet all that is temporary. But our God is forever. Now think about this. In Psalm 48, verse 1, it says, Our God is great and above all. He's great and above all. If He is great, and He is, and if He is above all to us as His children, and He is, 
do we live in that kind of manner? That He is the most great, that He is the most powerful, that He is the one that is most worthy and deserving of our attention and our affection. Do we live in that kind of a way? But first of all, we sing and shout and surrender ourselves to Him in worship because He is great. And above all, according to verse 3. Then in verses 4 through 6, He gives us a second reason. So if you would follow along as I read verses 4 through 6. He says, The depths are His. The depths of the earth are in His hand. The mountain peaks are His. The sea is His. He made His hands and formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Secondly, because He's the Creator of the universe. He's the Creator. And as the Creator, He holds the architect of our life. He holds the blueprints. He's the architect of our lives. He holds everything in His hands. And if He made us, He designed us, He created us, then who knows what's best for us? Our Creator. If He is the awesome architect of the universe, who knows better than how to take care of us than Him? He created us. Think about that. He knows everything about us. God's Word says He knows the very number of hairs on our head. If He knows that, He knows everything about us. And we need to surrender ourselves to Him. It says He formed the sea. I don't know about you, but I'm a kind of a Discovery and History Channel junkie. Um, I, I love watching the, the scientific stuff. And you know, back when I was a little kid, before I knew anything about evolution and all that jazz, I had to watch Jacques Cousteau. Anybody ever remember Jacques Cousteau? Yes. And if you sit there saying, now this is a part of the sea and it's millions upon millions upon millions of years old, I'm like, yeah, go down there. Let's see what's down there. You know, I get all excited about it. But you know, the one thing I realized about all those deep sea and ocean exploration that he did, there is so much down there that you'll never see it all. It's, it's, it's just unfathomable what is down there and how deep they are. I mean, it's amazing just that they can get down that deep. Miles below the surface. And he says, God made them. The sea, he made them. They're in his hands. How big is God? Think about that. How big is God? He formed the sea. He formed the dry land. He formed the mountains and the hills and the peaks there is. Consider the magnitude of God. And when you consider how great and awesome and powerful and huge God is, that's worthy of praise. And our little problems seem so minuscule in sight of that, in light of that. The little thing that, you know, life that we have that we, you know, has to revolve around us and our whims and our will and our desires and our flesh is so little compared to how big He is. Of all the things that science and technology can do, he cannot improve upon what God has already done. In fact, just for a moment, turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. This is man's feeble effort to try catch up to what God is doing. Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1 says, Hear the word that the Lord has spoken to you. House of Israel, this is what the Lord says. Do not learn the way of the nations, or be terrified by signs in the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. Here's verse 3. Here's what man tries to do. For the customs of the people are worthless. 
someone cuts down a tree from the forest. It is worked by the hands of a craftsman with a chisel. He decorates it with silver and gold. It is fastened with a hammer and nails so it won't totter. Like scarecrows in a cucumber patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they cannot do no harm, and they cannot do any good. Yahweh, there is no one like you. You are great. Your name is great in power. Who should, you, who should not fear you? King of the nations, it is what you deserve. For among all the wise people of the nations and among all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are both stupid and foolish, instructed by worthless idols made of wood. Beaten silver is brought from the Tarshish. And gold from the Uphaz. From the hands of the goldsmith, the work of a craftsman. Their clothing is blue and purple. All the work is skilled artisans. But Yahweh is the true God. He's the living God, an eternal God. The earth quakes at His wrath, and the nations cannot endure His rage. Think about that. Man tries to make an idol. As it says, they go cut down a tree. And man will carve it. It'll stand up like a totem pole. They'll inlay gold and silver and they'll make it an idol that they can worship. But it must be carried because it has no legs. It cannot walk. It has no heart. It has no mind. It has eyes but cannot see. It has hands but cannot do anything with them. That's man's attempt. But God is greater. So why should we shout why should we surrender? Why should we worship Him? He is great and above all. Consider that. He is the creator of the universe. But not only that, number three, He's our Redeemer. And you see that in verse 1. It says, Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the what? Rock of our salvation. And when you think about that, in, uh, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And one day we will surrender to that name. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the rock of our salvation. He's something solid, something stationary, something that will never change. He's still our rock. But not only that, we also see, according to verse 7, that He's our shepherd. Verse 7 says this, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep under his care. Think about the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. In fact, turn your Bibles to John chapter 10 just for a moment. John chapter 10. There is so much in this passage about the shepherd and sheep relationship. And I want us to begin reading verse 1. So if you would follow along says, I assure you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep penned by the door but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a sheepfold during biblical times. Um, if you ever had, get a chance, uh, there's a book called Manners and Customs of the Bible. And it's a really interesting book because it gives you all kinds of word pictures and stories and illustrations about what things were like in biblical days. But one of the things that you'll find inside that book is a story of, and pictures of what it looked like, you know, where the sheep were held in the pen. And you guys, in your mind, you kind of think of uh, the stone walls that you, that you maybe have seen pictures of in years past. 
but it's basically a stone wall, and there they varied in different heights and sizes, but as it went over the countryside, you know, it would come, and sometimes it would dip with the land, but sometimes it would stay straight, and, but it's this stone wall that would be built up just, just so high, maybe three to four feet on average. And they would usher the sheep inside that stone wall. And in the doorway, there was no door. You know why there was no door? That's where the shepherd stayed. See, once the sheep were inside the fold, inside that rock pen, that rock-walled area, he would stay right there because sheep can't climb. They're just they're, they're small. They, they, they can't get up over the rocks. So he would stay right there. Now, put your mind in, in, into verse 1 here. It says this. I assure you that anyone who doesn't enter the sheep by the pen, or into the pen by the door, if something is climbing over it, so that, that person is a thief or a robber. The one who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens it for him. In other words, he would stand up and move out of the way, and they go in and out. But listen to this, verse, end of verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The shepherd knows the sheep of the name, or the names of the sheep. Then it goes on and says this. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they recognize his voice, and they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't recognize the voice of strangers. And this is the illustration that Jesus gave. Now, I'm sure I've probably shared this illustration before, but I want to share it again because we have some new families here. It was really neat. When I was in high school, I got to spend four summers working as a, a summer missionary for three months at a time up in Canada, in Dryden, Ontario, Canada, near the Indian reservations up there. And it was really neat. But on a Saturday, when there was nobody, in, nobody at camp, uh, at the missionary base camp, we went out to a place called Eagly Sheep Farm. It was really neat. They had thousands and thousands of sheep. Um, but every Saturday, they would give this demonstration for people who would come visit the sheep farm, and they would have a pen about the size of this auditorium. And they had maybe 50 to 100 sheep in there. I can't remember exactly, but there was a good number of sheep in there. And they would give this illustration. And um, the guy, who was the shepherd, modern-day shepherd, would, you know, he'd blow a whistle, and all the sheep would go this way. And then he'd do something else, and all the sheep would go that way. And then he'd do something else, and they'd all went to that way. And then he'd do it again, they all came up to the front. He had a different signal for each of those motions. So if he was out and about in the hills, which they did, he'd whistle one way, and all the sheep would go this way. Out there in the open, then they'd all go this way. But there was this interesting phenomenon that took place. All these kids were all across the front. And what do kids do as they're trying to figure out what's going on? They're all whistling. I mean, they've got 25 kids sitting along the front of the thing, all whistling. And guess what the sheep did? Nothing. <laughs> they tried hard. I mean, these kids are blowing whistles, and they're making up, you know, sharp noises and dull noises and yelling and screaming. But the sheep were keyed into one person's commands. And when you think about this, he says, a stranger will not follow. In fact, they'll run away from the voices that are not familiar. Back in that text of Scripture in Psalm 95, he says, we're the sheep of his pasture. And if we are his sheep, whose voice are we to listen to? God's. If other voices are calling us, 
and if I could say practically speaking, the voices that we hear in the world, we got the, you know, we're calling us this way, and our culture's calling us this way, and you got friends over here calling us this way. Whose voice are we to listen to? God's voice. And if we don't listen to that voice, we have to wonder, really, are we a sheep? If we're sheep, we'll only listen to His voice. But He doesn't stop there. He gives us something else to think about. Verse 6. Jesus gave them this illustration, but they did not understand what He was telling them. So verse 7. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. So now Jesus takes it one step further. He says, hey, this doorway, I'm the one that sleeps in this doorway. If somebody's coming into my fold, they have to come how? Through me. Then verse 8. It says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. By him come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired man, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't know the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees wolves coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens when he has a hired man and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, but I have other sheep that are not in this fold. And I will bring them in also, that they may listen to my voice. And then there will be a flock and one shepherd. And this is, this is why the Father loves me, because I am laying down my life so that I may take it up again. As we think about that relationship, he gives us these reasons why we should worship him, why we should surrender to him, why we should basically yield ourselves before him, because he is great above all. And when we think about that, we are nothing and he is everything. Number two, he is the creator of the universe. He formed the sea, he formed the land, he formed the mountains. He's the creator. And then number three, he is the redeemer. He's the rock of our salvation. He is our shepherd. And sheep know his voice. And they don't follow strangers. Sheep are taken care of by their shepherd. The sheep are protected by their shepherd. So what should be our response? Well, Exodus chapter 17. In fact, in our text there, in fact, turn back to Psalm 95 just for a moment. Because we're almost through. Psalm 95 gives a, once again, a kind of a tragic reminder. And remember the story in Exodus. He says at the end of verse 7, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and they tried me, though they had seen what I did. It says, For ye forty years I was disgusted with that generation. And I said, They are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways, so I swore in my anger they will not answer my rest. He made it very clear because their actions had consequences. Um, and he says, We're not to harden our hearts as in that day. In fact, you see the picture of that in Exodus chapter 17. I just want to read a couple quick verses here in Exodus chapter 17. Verses 1 through 7, he says this. It says the entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. 
They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, Give us water to drink! Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, they will, Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? In a little while they will stone me. Verse 5, The Lord answered Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the, the Nile with in your hand and go, and I'm going to stand there in the front of you in the rock of Horeb. And when you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he named that place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Once again, that's what he's referring to in Psalm chapter 95. He said, Today, if you hear his voice, don't be like those people back there. Don't be like those... Those children of Israel that they just griped and complained and murmured, who tested the Lord and said, Are you here or not? The obvious is that God was with them, that God did take care of them. In our lives, there are going to be moments, there are going to be maybe even weeks, maybe even months, where we go through chapters where it's difficult. And I found in my life, and I know I'm, I'm just a young punk yet compared to some, but I know in my life, I have found that God is faithful. And I found that when it's only when I'm distracted by what I'm concerned with that I don't worship God, that I don't see Him for what He's doing. And I'm so busy, consumed about what I want. Like the children of Israel, they said, well, they just wanted basic needs. They wanted water. They wanted food. Right but they forgot to trust God for what they needed. They were trying to say, I want it, I want it now, because my flesh wants it, I'm living in the flesh, I'm going to do what I want, and God, are you here or not? And they tested and tried the Lord. I know for me, I do best when my focus is on God. And when I get distracted by the, all the other things that my flesh wants, even be it water, then I'm selfish. I'm inwardly focused. And that's when I say, well, God, where are you? God says, I'm right here. I haven't left. So he says, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Don't be like those children. Don't gripe. Don't complain, because I am here. So we're challenged to go right back to the beginning of the chapter, in verse 95, to come and to worship and to come into forest courts with praise, to kneel down before our king and to exalt and worship him. And the more we do that, the more He is magnified and the more we realize that He is great and awesome and powerful. He's done so much more than we can ask or imagine. So, to me that's encouraging. That gives me hope. That we serve an awesome God who, knows well, who is well aware and knows everything that we're going through. And He's still there. And we don't have to be like the children of Israel who are focused on what we want. We're His sheep. He knows His sheep. And the sheep knows him. There's a relationship involved, right? So where's our focus? We need to get back to where it needs to be. To worshiping and obeying God. And when we do that, he will bless. He will take care of us. Because he's promised that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you.
once again for your word. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I know that there are so many people in this room that are going through various struggles and trials and difficult situations. Lord, I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to keep their focus on you. Because life's not easy. And sometimes, just like the children of Israel, we just want the water. And we want it now. And we forget about the relationship that we have. We forget about the promises that we have. We forget about all the things that you are doing. Because we're so focused on self. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, that we truly focus on you. Learn to worship and exalt you. Learn to glorify your name. And the same God that we read of in the Old Testament is the same God we serve today. God, would you work in our hearts? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just for a few moments this morning, you have an opportunity to respond to what you've uh, heard this morning from God's Word. Just a simple opportunity to to contemplate, how does this apply to my heart and my life? Maybe you're here this morning and say, well, hey, um, maybe I've been like the children of Israel, griping, complaining, and thinking all about me. Maybe you acknowledge this morning that I haven't worshipped God as I ought. I haven't come before Him and just thanked Him for all that He's done. I haven't lifted up His name because I'm too busy focusing on my own. But maybe for whatever reason, God's challenged your heart this morning. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to worship Him more. I need to obey Him more. I need to concentrate on the relationship that I have with Him more. Would you pray with me this morning? You know, like that? Yes. Yes. The front and the back, the sides, all over. It just tells us a lot of us are in the same boat. We struggle. Our flesh is so stinking strong and selfish. We want what we want when we want it as long as we want it because we think we can. And sometimes we just forget to say, God, I'm yours. We forget sometimes that he is so big and we are so small. Say, Pastor, that's my concern. I'm struggling with this. There's some things I've been withholding, but I need to worship him more. I need to focus on him more. Will anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me? Yes, in the front. In the back, yes. Yes, in the back. Can I challenge you, if you've lifted your hand, your heart towards the Lord this morning, if you're one that just acknowledged that, hey, that's me, can I challenge you just right here where you're at, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just to simply take a moment and say, God, work in my heart. Help me to see you for who you are. God, help me to trust you. Help me to focus on you and not on the struggles, not on the problems, not on what was not going right. Just take a moment and pray. Here's the deal. You can talk to God in a normal conversation. He, he, He understands. Take a moment. And I can tell you, I challenge you one other way. In Psalm 66, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If our focus has been wrong, if I'm not in a right relationship with God right now, and I know that, and I choose not to do anything about it, that hinders my prayer too. So lay it all out on the table and say, God, work in my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse my heart. And let God do a work as only He can. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, many across the auditorium raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Many 
acknowledge that, hey, that's me. I haven't worshipped as I ought. I haven't focused on you as I ought. I've been selfish. Lord, we all struggle with it. Our, our flesh is strong and selfish. God, forgive us as a body, as a group of believers here this morning. Lord, forgive me as an individual, Lord. I can become so selfish. God, help me to hope in you. Help me to see what you're doing. Help me see the grandeur of your power as I look at creation. As I imagine all the things that you do. All the things that make you so lovely. All your attributes, all your characteristics. And then, Lord, to begin to thank you for all these things. God, may we see a picture of you. Let you be glorified. Let our focus be on you. Lord, be with each one who raised their hand and their hearts towards you this morning, Lord, that you get, that you would work in their hearts and their lives, Lord, to draw them closer to you. Lord, be with all of us as a body to be singularly focused on you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you're at as an individual, but I know where I'm at, and I just sometimes i got to see a bigger picture of God. And it's not that God has moved. God's still God. God's still on the throne. God's still there, right? So if God hasn't moved, who has? Us. He's still there. He's still on the throne. And that's where we need to be, in his presence. We're to kneel before him as our maker, as our creator, as our redeemer, and we're to submit ourselves in humility before him. That means this week, if we're going to do that, we have to get off the throne of selfishness. I and mean, we have to get off that chair. And it's so easy to climb up on that chair with the remote and stick it right there, right? Come on, let's be honest. I like that remote. Just want to be on the throne of selfishness and just say, everyone else cater to me. But that's the opposite of what God wants. He wants us to kneel down before him. So that's a challenge this week. To worship him before him in everything we say and do. of the message this morning <clears throat> dealt with the fact that he is our shepherd and let's sing together come let us worship and bow down <clears throat> 